Welcome to episode 58 of Story Mode, a video game podcast, the official podcast of StoryModeGaming.com. I'm your host, Jesse Munro, and tonight I'm joined by Simon Evans. Yo. And Keelan Simpson. Hey. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, yeah good. 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 Great, in fact. I was just throwing off. That was, you said that so like that what what has happened? Was it, you got what a weird energy killer. You gotta explain look, yourself. I was just telling Simon before, I've just started playing Final Fantasy VIII on my Xbox because it's downloadable as part of Game Pass. And I am Excellent enjoying choice. the music so much. It's so fantastic. Wow. And they've added a whole bunch of really nice quality of life features. Like you can turn off random encounters. And you can also speed the game up three times. And that's awesome. That makes games like this, which have, I, I guess you'd say, archaic gameplay loops, a lot easier to play in 2021. I really yeah. like that they do stuff like that. It's great. Yeah, cool. about you, side? Uh, I'm thrown off by the whole daylight saving time thing now. It's thrown me, thrown me through a right it, loop. It's, I mean, we're recording a little bit later than usual tonight anyway. So it would yeah. be a little bit dark usually, but this is it's bad. It's because I slept all day today for um, alcohol-related reasons. Yes, uh, I got I'm a very really similar message I, from I my don't brother. know what day it is or what time or where I am right now, and I, I, I'm I'm uncomfortable. So it's also Thanks probably not helped farmers. by like the Easter holidays as well. Oh, it's should Easter today been off since Friday? And now it's suddenly Sunday, but you're not going to work tomorrow because... Yay. I keep thinking for some reason it's a three-day week. I keep thinking we have fr- this coming Friday off as well. No. I wish. <sighs> we don't. That would be lovely, I wish. but we don't. That would yeah, be good. that'd be phenomenal. No. I can't help you there. I can't help you there. Well, I'm trying to think what I've been playing this week. You know, I have been playing a bunch of... So, Chris and I have been streaming Jurassic World Evolution every Monday on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash story mode Oz. Yes. Um, nice. And we decided that tomorrow we're going to do our like finale. Okay. We're going to wrap it up because you unlock an island where you have unlimited funds. You get a, quite a big patch of land. Thing is, you have to do missions to unlock different buildings and different, more importantly, different dinosaurs. Um, and there's no cheat to just get them all, which is a bit annoying. Which means every night I've been grinding for three or four hours <laughs> playing Jurassic World Evolution to get all the dinosaurs for, for tomorrow. And blown my mind, this is, most, this is one of the dumbest things, that your scientists can make these prehistoric wonders out of some mosquito blood and some frog jizz. They just mash them together in a big cup and a dinosaur comes out. Cool. <laughs> But it's taken me, I've had to set up three different islands with three different research centers, done countless missions in order to unlock the goddamn Tony Stark level of technology needed to make a goddamn bowling alley. Uh. It's very jarring that when you go to your research center, it's like, okay, what's locked behind, you know, I've got a Tyrannosaurus, I've got a Velociraptor, I've got a bunch of dinosaurs I can't pronounce. Okay, cool. Uh, formal mission that I, I, I get to unlock. Oh, cool. The toy store. Fantastic. Cool. Great. Um, but good game. I love games like that. You know, games yeah. that um, give you a sense of control? Because I don't have that with life. So I need that, <laughs> I need that in games. 
Oh, Christ. Doesn't it just remove a little bit of that sense when everything that you've been working towards and for has ended up to be just a, a bowling alley? Is that real life or the game? Yeah, both. Yes. Both. Yes. I look like somebody who would own a bowling alley. Simon, when you come down to, to Melbourne next, we'll go bowling. All right. Oh, no, I see. Thanks, Nico. <laughs> Sorry, it's Roman. <laughs> cousin. Damn it. Oh, well, you know. And you Nico is a cousin. You, you struck me as someone who would own just dozens of vending machines across the city, Jesse. What the fuck does a, that even mean? Is that an insult? I, I hear it's a lucrative business, but you're always on the move. Why do I give you what? <laughs> that is the most bizarre thing that like I've been called some things in my time. Believe no, 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 me, I'm just saying I can see you fulfilling that role as some sort you'd of be, vending machine pervert. Yes, a vending machine pervert. Why does everything have to end with pervert for you? Like you don't need to be perverted yeah. to own vending machines or to do anything <laughs> really, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've been called out. I don't like it, okay? I love how quickly this episode has derailed already. Derailed? Well, okay, let's get it back on the tracks and let's just handball this one to Simon because, Simon, you've been looking forward to talking about a game for a very long time. Yes. It's a little game called Outriders. Now, Outriders, (laughs) Monster Hunter Rise came out. Monster Hunter Rise. What, last week? The week before? Uh, Yeah, last week, uh, Friday the 26th. Depends March. on when you listen to the, the podcast. You'll be listening to this in 2022. Who, know, who knows yeah, what's happening? But Monster Hunter Rise recently came out for the Nintendo Switch. Simon, as our resident hunter, you have the floor. This is all you. Cool. What do you think? Um, in short, this is the most fun I've ever had playing a Monster Hunter game. Ever. Mm. I have... That makes me so fucking happy to hear you Like, say it, honestly, yeah. it is just full of charm and wonder and it's just everything about it just hits all the right notes for me um i've been playing monster hunter since try on the wii which i think was like 2009 um so i've been playing monster hunter games for over 10 years now um i played four ultimate on the 3ds i played generations generations ultimate i played world and i enjoyed every single one of those for what they gave World, I think, was probably the one I was least impressed with because they were trying to take the series in a new direction and it worked for the most part. Hmm. Some things fell a bit short and I feel like Rise has just sort of recalibrated the steering in just the right way where if that is if it's the best combination of some of the quality of life stuff that World has offered with some of the, the just sheer charm and silliness that the classic Monster Hunter games have offered. Just to jump in there, so Monster Hunter World was the best-selling Monster Hunter game thus far, I believe? Um, Capcom's best-selling game ever. Oh, mm. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and that's the one I've played. So I, I kind of thought, and I imagine all the people who played Monster Hunter World thought that was Monster Hunter, but you're saying no. that, that was a bit of a diversion. What is Monster Hunter at its core? Like, Garrett of World, what were the ones before? What 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 changed? Um, I think with, with World... They offered a lot of quality of life stuff, which removed a lot of the baked-in challenge. Monster Hunter was very archaic in its design, but very purposefully so. Um, 
So the game itself was trying to get in your way and be obstructive and, if anything, you know, it could be a bit annoying. And that did send a lot of potential players like looking the other way, going, nah, not interested. And World, you know, tried to shift that dynamic, tried to offer the quality of life that people wanted. Um, with again, with mixed results, because one thing I really liked was preparing for um for a hunt. You'd you'd sit there and you'd you'd go, right, I'm gonna need this, I'm gonna need this, I'm gonna need this, and you'd spend time managing like managing your inventory properly, making sure you've got all the whetstones that you're possibly gonna need to sharpen your weapons, you've got all the stamina boosting items that you need, and you've got all the potions that you're gonna need, and this, that, and the other, and you've only got like a limited space to do all this in, and so you've got to be super careful and make sure you don't forget the one thing that you might need, only to then go on the quest and go, Well, fuck, I forgot the one thing. This is gonna be a pain in the ass. Um world removed a lot of that by getting rid of some of the weirder mm. and slightly more archaic stuff um also they added camps so you could just go into your camp site you could just go into your little tent and you could grab the extra item that you might have forgotten you could eat food if you hadn't eaten before the quest and things like that that makes a lot of sense because i always found that weird playing world that before you go for a hunt it's like do you have everything you need have you eaten like do you have all this like why am I bothering with it? I can do all that at the site. Like, I just go to the camp, get my stuff. Like, why are you telling me this now? So that seems to just be a hangover from the uh, the old games. Yeah, and that's, that's still how I play. I don't like going into the camps. If I have to, yeah, sure, I will. But I try and avoid it as much as possible because I like... I like the way I used to prepare for everything. It made me know the way the monsters would fight and the interactions that you could have with them. And hey, when you know this guy starts flying around, f- like shooting fireballs at you, throw a flash bomb underneath his feet, and he's going to come crashing down to the earth, and you're going to get like a nice period of time to just whack the crap out of him. And that was really fun. And you'd go right. I've got to make sure I've got inventory space for these flash bombs or else I'm going to be sat there waiting for him to finish spewing fireballs at me to then get a little bit of a window to attack him, but not as I, big as what I could do. With World, I, I, I played like you did, but not because I wanted the challenge, because I'm lazy. <laughs> I'm like, I can't be bothered going to the camp, and I can't be bothered talking to this cat either. Like, I just want to go hunt. And it did that thing for me, which I've talked about multiple times um, in games where you feel weak, and you mm. kind of go out there, it's like, you only kind of got what's on you, on your person. Yeah. And you kind of have to think around that. I just love that because you'd go into situations like, oh, I've annoyed many a monster. <laughs> they are all now in one area and they're all attacking me. All right, yeah. what do I have? I, I really like that rather than having to go back and be like, okay, I can grab all these and sort of like cheesing your way through areas. Yeah. So you're saying that Rise is a mix sort of between the world and the, the previous ones. Yes. So um, in terms of map design, it's similar to World in the fact that it's an open map that isn't the segmented areas. Um, but with that being said, the way the monster's AI behaves is unless they're enraged and specifically coming after you, um, then you can leave the area. You know, you might have to travel a little bit but the monster will follow you for a bit and then turn around and go back to where he was. So you can still sort of tactically retreat. Um, the map designs, we've actually got a couple of returning maps from uh, Try, which made my brain just ooze with nostalgia. I was like, ah, oh, I remember that spot is where I'd fight this thing. And uh, over there is where you could gather this item. And uh, like my brain was just going, oh yeah, this bit. They've done a really, really, really great job with the map design here. Like genuinely phenomenal. Um, 
they've updated those older maps in such a way that they feel right. Like, this is the way this was meant to look back on the Wii. Like, this is what they had in mind when they designed it, is the way it looks now in Rise. Um, and, yeah, there's just there's just a lot of it which, I don't know, it just lends itself very well to... <laughs> It just ticks all the right boxes in my little lizard brain, and it's like, yep, cool. All the fun stuff is here. Um, all the all the good stuff from everything is just it's just there. You've got customization in terms of your weapons, um, in terms of the abilities that you can actually use with your weapons as well. So you can swap out certain moves. Um, you can also swap out your like special abilities, your silk bind skills, as they're called. So you've got. A little bit of customizations to how you want to play your weapon um and yeah as well as obviously the general customization that you'd get from which weapon you want to use what type of that weapon like i play sword and shield i like to use elemental sword and shields so i would go for ah oh, i know this monster's weak against fire i'm going to use a fire weapon against it oh this monster's weak to thunder so i'm going to use a thunder weapon against it um, so there's obviously that standard customization, but then you also get the ability to change up your moveset the way you want it. And one of my favorite things is the sword and shield has a, I shit you not, it is called a Shoryuken. You uppercut <laughs> monsters with your shield. Hell you- yeah. <laughs> and the best Hell thing yeah. is, is that for like a split second before you actually do the uppercut, you can block as well. So if a monster attacks you at that very split second when you're blocking, you then do an even stronger uppercut and it leaves you up in the air and you can then decide to either fall with your sword, stabbing them in the head, or you can shield bash them on your way back down to the ground. And it is so satisfying to just uppercut a monster, fall back down on its head with your shield and knock them out. And then they just sat there helpless. It's interesting you bring up like the verticality in the combat because that's one of the things that really got me playing world. I played, I, I tried a few different weapons and then I played the insect glaive and the moment I realized you could sort of do that, that hop with it. I'm like, okay, this is a weapon for me. You are super agile, a lot of aerial attacks. I, I It also just looks really cool. Yeah, it does. But there's also the wire bug now that helps you get yes. a bit more you know, aerial uh, g- agility. How is that? Because I, I didn't love the demo. I found the demo super confusing and I, I found it, it it was, we spoke about this before the show, that it was directed more at established Monster Hunter players who were probably going to get the game anyway, but for people that were trying to introduce to the series, and even people coming off world, like you said, Capcom's biggest selling game, so majority of people would be coming off world. Yeah. It didn't tell us enough and I got really confused really quickly. I'm like, uh, but basically because of your hype. <laughs> I bought the game. Mind you, I've only played about 20 minutes of it. Um, um, but I did buy it. It's right next to me. Good. Um, in regards to the wire bugs, with that being the new shiny mechanic, um, I think what they what they were looking at is when, when they designed it, they were going, okay, what did people really like about World? And one of the top things is some of the stuff you can do with the with the slinger when you can target those wedge beetles and you can sort of zip from one to the other, kind of like a prehistoric Spider-Man. And people like, you know, Capcom clearly went, okay, that seems like people really enjoyed that. That's fun. How do we make that a main thing? And they've come up with this really good way with these silk bugs. Fits in very nicely with the lore and stuff and, you know, isn't too deus ex machina. 
Um, it's just a fun little mechanic. And I remember the first time I was playing the demo, I was like, oh man, this feels so weird. I don't quite know how I feel about it. Uh, it's going to be so easy to abuse or manipulate or whatever. But nah, I was wrong. It is the best addition they could have added. It takes maybe about 15, 20 minutes to get really used to. And then before you know it, you'll be swinging from one end of the map to the other, playing the floor as lava. Because you fucking can. And it is so, so satisfying to do. Here's a concern I have. So you use it during combat, right? Yep. You use it a fair bit. I imagine for like things like Sword and Shield, which aren't as aerial as other weapons, it'd be a great benefit. But I feel like somebody who plays Insect Lave, it's not really going to change how I play that much, which for me is kind of a good thing because... Again, and I'm just going from what I saw in the demo. I'm sure it's going to be different mm. when I play the full game. I'm like, cool, if I can avoid using it, sweet. Um, but I feel like some weapon types of what, 18 different weapons, whatever it is, ridiculous. 14, I think. But 14, yeah. oh, well, weak. <laughs> Better buy it then. Get the DLC. Uh, <laughs> I feel like some weapon types aren't going to be benefited from it. Um, again, I would disagree slightly because the game really encourages you to use the wire bugs, even if it's not for your silk bind attacks, um, because they're such a good way of moving around. Um, it adds so much to, for example, like the greatsword, it is known for being slow and heavy and lends itself really well to hit and run tactics. You know, you wait for the monster to be open, you do a nice big charge attack and then you sheath your sword and run away. One of its silkbind moves is a quick sheath. You dash outwards, sheath your sword, and you get a little power boost for, like, a minute. And that lends itself really well to, to that sort of gameplay. Um, Insect Glaive, you might not necessarily want to use your um, your wire bugs for your silkbind attacks that much, but if you get hit by a monster and get sent flying, you can use what's called, like, a I think it's called a wire fall recovery, um, where you just press the right button combination and you instead of falling through the sky for two minutes and then landing on your face and waiting for your character to get back up and then oh look you've been hit again and oh, you're in that same animation you just press the button you dash outwards and that's hmm. it you're back in the fight that's good because i do fall a lot but my my worry is you know it, it's an extra uh maneuver you can use i didn't use the insects in my insect glaive for like 80 hours in world okay <laughs> Yeah. I'm an idiot. Yeah, perhaps. God, that was so frustrating <laughs> when I realized you could do that. Speaking of idiots, Simon, everything that you were talking about before, I'm listening to it and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> God. What are you talking about? The, it sounds crazy. It sounds complex. And I also got that sense when I played the Monster Hunter Rise demo. Like, mm. it was very dense and this is, it struck me as a series that wasn't interested in inviting new people into play. It was only interested in pleasing people who already played Monster Hunter. Yeah. How does a new person play a game like this? I just, I don't get it. Like, everything you're describing is so overwhelming. Like, wow. Um, my, my recommendation for anyone that is remotely interested in picking up the game, um, you know, anyone, anyone that's, you know, kind of been on the verge of looking into Monster Hunter, this is... Not the easiest game to get into. World was the easiest game for newcomers by far. This is still very good for newcomers. Much, much nicer than a lot of the previous games. Um, there are optional tutorials for each of the weapons 
There are optional uh, tutorials for um, all of the other mechanics and all the other stuff that you can do uh, within the game. And every time a new feature is unlocked, so for example, um, you can do this thing called melding, where you throw in um, a bunch of monster parts, you know, things, quest rewards that you get, you know, for carving up the monster or whatever. You can throw them into this pot. They have a chance of turning into a talisman um, with a Ooh. particular um, with a particular skill. And you can do that if you want. But when you unlock it, you get a little tutorial that comes up on your screen. You have to click through it. And then even once you've done that, there will be a notification in your menu under your under your hunter notes saying, this is what this thing does. This is how you do it. Yeah, so I, ideally, it's all catalogued. Ideally, people will use them, but that, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the world I has similar stuff. And I got to the point of like, all right, cool. Like, food has a great benefit. Oh, I, I skip. <laughs> like, I know yeah, this is important to me. I thought a fight, goddamn lizard. That's why I, I always found it's so strange how the game teaches you how to play. It doesn't show you. It just tells you. And that's yeah. like, you know, game design 101. Um, and yeah, I, I found it quite dense because of that. Um, but you're saying the tutorial stuff is there and you have yes. to really apply yourself to understand and yeah, if, use it. it. It's one of those games that you have to be willing for it to teach you how it wants to be played. It's not a game that you can go into, like, you know, some some platformers where it's like, no, nah, I just I just rush from the start to the finish. I don't explore everything. I just speed run this this stuff. Like, cool, that's your way of playing platformers. That's fine. Most games will let you do that. Monster Hunter's like, no, this is how I need to be played. You can either learn how to do it or you can go. That that phrase, the how you put that was quite profound. That was very well put. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Kill, um, Kill, have you been interested in playing Monster Hunter World Kills? No. No. It's uh, it's too uh, dense for uh, me. It, it it can be. You know me. I am a clown of a person. And I got really into World because I, I kind of played it very surface level, but I loved it. I knew that there was so much more I could get into with that game. Mm. But it just that those parts didn't appeal to me. I could keep playing without them. Dude, give World a go. It's really really fun oh i, I was i'm not really saying impressed I, don't, I don't like dense games but there's enough in monster hunter that i don't like about just that type of game in general that puts me off playing it um primarily ui design and just the, the oh. general tedium <laughs> yeah Ooh. yeah, yeah the that's rough tedium of the of the gameplay loop but yeah that ui is is a real With deal the- for me like the case okay, so of the Monster Underworld UI was garbage. Yeah. Like you said, this one's probably a little bit more complex. And now it's on the Switch. This is one of my biggest concerns before I get too far into the game is, is it good on Switch? Does it suit the Switch or would it have been better if this was just like a full, like, you know, like a PS5 game or whatever? Um, I think the fact it's on Switch lends itself to, I guess, the the direction this game is trying to go. World was very good for its mass market appeal. It was very easy to, you know, to sell. It's like, hey, look at this, look at this. Oh, you have the big sword, you kill the big monsters. It's like, yeah, all these kaiju movies, but you're really cool. You're the badass. Cool. That's an easy sell. Rise 
Rise is a little bit more classic Monster Hunter in the sense that it's a bit more wacky, it's a bit weird, it's a bit offbeat. Um, it has its own little charm and its own weird little bits of humour. It's not trying to sell itself as, oh, the, the next best Monster Hunter movie or anything like that. It is a, hey, if you enjoyed yourself, check out some of the other wild shit you can do. It is a show of spectacle for those who know what the spectacle is doing. So you could sit there and you can watch someone, um, you know, do this awesome combo and you're like, wow, what the fuck was that? But for someone who knows what that combo was, it'd be like, oh, you managed to pull that off without being hit and you like, you KO'd the monster and you cut off their tail and you did that. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot just below the surface. There is, this really fine, rich layer of going, aha, I see, I get it. Mm. I feel like Monster Hunter Rise is very much a, a game for Monster Hunter veterans to just nod at each other and be like, yep, I get yeah. it. Yeah. I, know what you're doing I, I just, I feel like a lot of this just clicked together in my head now, Simon. And I'm like, you know what? I respect that. Yeah. That's but, a game that doesn't apologize for what it is. Yes. And, it's, and that's, it, it's hard, yeah. it's challenging. And it demands that you do things a certain way. Yeah. Fuck yeah. And gone. So sorry. At the same time, like for people like me, it all the game also went. Hey, remember cat, cat, but now also dog, because there are dogs in this game. The Palamutes. <laughs> I made so, my dog. Named him Hamish. He looks like my dog. I love him. He's the best. So actually, that brings me um, on to I think yeah another another addition. Uh, to the Monster Hunter franchise, thanks to Rise, and that is the Palamutes. So you've had your Palicos. Um, we've had Palicos since, I think, the second game, on and off. Um, there's always been like a companion system. So when you do single-player content, you are accompanied by either a Palico or whatever character or creature they want to introduce uh, for the fun of it. Um, Palamutes are awesome. They are so much fun because this little dog, you can drift like it's fucking Mario Kart as you go around corners. And then as soon as you let go of the button, you just go right, right across the map. And it's so good. You can also Yoshi them. You can Super Mario World Yoshi them. Oh, I need to jump from this cliff to this cliff. All right, doggo, let's get a run up. Let's jump. And oh, I'm not going to make it. Goodbye, dog. I'm going to drop you and land safely on the other side. It's fun. It's a really that's, good time. That's fucked. You're it's the monster shit. they're hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, for what it's worth, they don't. There's no full damage, so they're not getting hurt, and they just dig underground and pop up next to you again two seconds later, and they're like, "Hello." So I do have a slight complaint, and it sounds like once I actually get going with the game, it oh oh forget it pretty quickly but this came up in the demo and even just walking around the game early on small screen i mean okay we'll get into the, the technical aspects of this game because it looks gorgeous and it runs like like a dream i can't believe switch mm. can do this but i feel like you have your palico you have your palamute you have three characters two of them quite large yourself and the palamute there's a lot going on on the screen at once and i feel like a lot of the screen was filled up with you know you have quite a large monster then you have smaller monsters then your dog then your cat and yourself jumping around with a sword the size of a monster like i, I feel like at time the, the game can look really visually messy and um, uh, i 
parts some of the parts I liked in World were just how grand the fights looked. Not because there was a bunch happening, but just because it looked really nice. When you're fighting the Oh, you're going to have to help me here. What are those uh, like electric ferrets? Uh, you mean Toby Kodachi? Oh, I love one of my favorite creature designs in a game. Love it. Um, that and the oh, the blue, uh, the Articuno with too many wings. Uh, Legiana. Legiana. Um, I'm so glad you get these. Dude, I am <laughs> loving this description. They look too many wings. They look gorgeous. Great. Like some of, some of the monster designs I find really, uh, in world, I found a little bit disappointing, but those two were just absolute standouts. I can't wait till I go to Japan again because there's Monster Hunter stuff everywhere and every time I've gone, I wasn't into the series. I ignored it. Now that I, next time I go, I'm going to buy us, Simon, I'll get you a bunch of stuff as well. Thank a you. bunch of stuff and I'll send it on back. Um, um, and I, I want to get like a little Toby Kodachi. To- what is it? Toby, Toby Kodachi. Toby Kodachi. All right. Yeah. Cool name. Um, it is. I, fun, I feel like when you're that. fighting them, especially with, with the insect glaive, it looks very, it's a dance. Because mm. those two monsters are quite graceful with how they move. I when I was fighting a few monsters in again in the demo, it was just it was like a like monstrous gangbang. It's too much going on. Um. Okay. So personal recommendation is try to avoid playing this game on handheld if that is something that is bothering you. Play it docked. Play it on your TV. Uh, appreciate the extra sort of space that that will give you. Um. I have played it on handheld for probably about 10 or so hours. Um, and it took a little bit of time to get used to. And it can sometimes be a bit hard to keep track of everything that's going on. But for the most part, I found it relatively straightforward. I found that because um, I don't use the target camera system at all that's built into the game. Um, yeah. So for, for anyone who isn't aware, uh, Monster Hunter has... For a little while, introduced a system which is which lets you focus your camera on the monster the whole time. I personally hate it. I think it does not work the way that it intends to be uh, used, and it is just kind of a mess. So, I my recommendation is do not use that. Turn that off. Um, have it so your camera is focused on your character the whole time and that helps make keeping track of what you are doing at any given point a lot easier whatever your dog and your cat are doing it really doesn't matter there's very few times where that's going to be actually essential to anything going on um you know every once in a while um like for example my my main cat um named after glitch um (laughs) i um i made him a healer so occasionally he'll put down like a little healing thing and i go ah cool i can make use of that I've just got to keep my eye out for it, and I will just walk over to where it is. There's also a little indicator on the map, which tells me where it is. So I'm like, cool, I know where that is without having to take my eyes off of the monster too much. And sometimes you can sort of, you know, okay, I know the monster is busy fighting my dog off in the corner. I'll run over here, grab an extra wire bug, and run back into the fight. And you can keep track of a lot if you focus on what you are doing. The monster is secondary. Your cat and your dog are tertiary at best. All the small monsters will just get killed by accident anyway. So the second they run onto the screen, I'm like, okay, cool, you're dead. Um, just because, you know, I'm fighting this breakdancing thunder wolf. Um, that's, yeah. a, that's my stage name. On, If you think Toby Kodachi's a cool design, look up Zenoga after the show because... Zenoga's the, the spike dog? 
Yeah, the the thunder thunder dog. Thunder dog, yeah, thunder dog, yeah. yeah. The break dancing thunder wolf. Um, and Swole yes. Jolteon, yeah, yeah, basically. Swolteon. Um, so, <laughs> Keelan, do yourself a favor and look it up now, so you have some form of context. Um, but Good. yeah, so you know, there's you a, Keelan. There's, there's one of them that looks like a white dick raptor. Yeah, I can't argue that. That's Kezu. Yeah, it it looks like it's, all, it's, all, it's awful. Do you remember? Have you seen um? Uh, the Peter Jackson Kong film. Yes, remember that really cool scene where they fall into the they fall into the valley and all the bugs come out of the walls, and it's like one of the best scenes in the film because you get to see all these different creatures. I like the creatures in the film, and the cook gets eaten by the worm. That worm like kind of like eats his head. Ah, it's, 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 it's really basically know. that cross of the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. Pipes. I'm good, thank you. Yeah, um, Dick, Dick Raptor. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm going to be... I apologise, Twitch. I apologise, um, those with sensitive ears, for the next couple of words out of my mouth, but I am not kidding when I say that Kezu looks like an uncircumcised penis with legs and wings. Yeah. That is what it looks like. Um, anyway, so, <laughs> yeah, I can understand where, where you're coming from with about teeth. sort of losing, losing track of stuff on screen, but if you focus on what you are doing... Um, you should find that a lot easier. Another thing, another option to turn on is um, player silhouette. Uh, it's in the options menu, and uh, I'd recommend turning it to white. So when the ca- when the monster is in between in front of your you. character and the camera, you can still see the silhouette as to where you are and what you are doing. Interesting. I've never seen that. I, I, I rarely go through those sort of options in the game, but that's a really cool feature. Yeah, um, it is in world as well. Um, and yeah, I highly, highly recommend that because that, that, that makes a bit of a difference. Because the second the monster comes in between you and your you and your camera, you're like, ah, what am I you're, doing? You're stuffed. Yeah. yeah. So make it white because it's nice and bright and easy to look at. Uh, I did try the black silhouette for a while. It didn't show up very nicely. So yeah. Um, that, that was just before we get into like the technical aspects of the game, uh, beside of curiosity, you said your, your Palico is named after a glitch. What's your Palamute and your character named after? Um, my character is just called Psy because that's what I always do. Um, and I call yes, my because dog- that's your name. Yes. Yes. Correct. Um, <laughs> and my dog is called Caramel. Oh, that's for, for no that's reason. Nice. For no reason whatsoever. Uh, um, my character is named. Um, there's been a name that I've had while playing Pokemon games since. I can't even remember which one I uh, I start doing this, but his name is Butlad. <laughs> um, I've been calling my Pokemon character characters that for years. So whenever I can name a character, they're always Butt Lad. And my dog's named Hamish because my dog's named Hamish, and my Palico is named Krangus because my Palico in World was named Krangus. Krangus. I, I like Krangus. Yeah, Krangus is cool. Name. Um, because that's just how my brain works. Now, I I only fired this game up a few hours ago. Hey man, chewed through my 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 switch has, is having battery issues. I think um, it chewed through the power of it. That but is... when I fired it up, oh my god, this game looks incredible! And just the opening menu screen, the art, the visuals are so striking. It's got a really really cool yeah. color palette. Yeah, I can't wait. Until the Switch Pro has that new screen, which shows colors. Oh, that color. OLED screen! Yeah, that OLED screen on the game like this is going to be. Just uh, magnificent because 
yeah, this game this game looks really cool. And I, I, I love the art style. And when it fires up and you see the character designs of those two twins who are terrifying, um, they yeah, look they're terrifying. They're gorgeous. I love them. They just made me, just the way they finish, they remind me of the twins from uh, Matrix Reloaded. They're just two alike. It's, I mean, because they're twins, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, that's how twins work. Just how they're like, how they're like finishing off each other's <laughs> sentences. Like, ah, oh, you're the same person or not? Like, oh, I don't like this. Like, you, uh. Anyway, that's my own hangups. Um, their character designs and model designs look really good, and mm-hmm. they the animation is fluid. It, I'm blown away with what this game's doing with the, uh, with the yeah. Switch. Yeah, you know, absolutely. A couple of weeks ago, um, I mentioned that. Um, Resident Evil, well, Capcom games, just like as a whole, like they're just next level technological showcases, and this is it. Like mm. this is top tier. Sorry, Holy just on a shit. tangent, have you guys seen that Resident Evil Eight footage that came out? No, yes. I haven't. Oh my! Yeah. This this is going to be one of the best looking games I've ever seen. Yeah. It looks stunning. And that was that just PS4 bad. Pro. Um, so- and that was just Lady Dimitrescu. I still I still can't comprehend that this thing runs off a handheld like yeah. Monster Hunter Rise. Holy shit. Yes. Wow. It is mind-blowing. Fantastic. Simon, you've seen a lot more of the game than I have. The only complaint and like honestly like it's, it's nitpicky that I had is that the ca- color palette when I was looking at it on the screen was a bit muted in the area that you have on the demo. So mm. you've seen a lot more of the game. Like, what does the rest of the game look like? How does it go um, here? I think by far the the village that you uh, that the, the game sort of takes place in is the highlight by far. Um, it's not a it, it's not a huge village or anything. Um, it is kind of small, but just the colors really really Dense. pop in there. Um, and then you've also got the hunting hub area, which is sort of the multiplayer zone. Um, and there's this really good lighting effect. So it's mostly indoors, but there's a little outside dining area, which is, you know, has a little bit of cover and then it's open air. Um, and the way the light actually sort of comes into play there looks really good. Like there will be, depending on the time of day, which most of the time, I believe it's almost always daytime, but um, the shadows do actually land differently at different times, and it's it's really really good for that. Do so, you say that you're in hunters' quarters, like in world? Yeah, yeah, you've got your own. Yes, room. and they upgrade. Um, no, it's ah fuck this game. I'm return, but it is customizable. Hey, yeah, that's all right. So one of yeah. my favorite things in world is when you get new quarters, and then you get the one um with the palico playing the harp. Yeah, <laughs> and you have like a little uh, area with like a fountain and some plants. It, it looks amazing. Mm. Um, I think one of the issues, though, uh, Ken, that you brought up about the demo looking a little bit rough. Um, this game, the kind of uh, land textures aren't brilliant. Um, no, and I think with the areas where you fight monsters, they kind of well created in these levels. They try to create big areas like for for battles. They they try to funnel you into certain areas to have your f- fight because it's going to look best and it's just a function. Everything's going to work best there. And there's a lot of stretched open textures, so you get these really open areas where there's not much going on. 
so all your eyes focus on is the textures. And it's like, oh. Yeah, look, it Same was world. just simply but, that there wasn't enough color to the textures. Understandably, of course, you know, you've got limited VRAM. Like, there's only so much you can do. You've got these big mm. environments and these really detailed character models as well. So there's only so much space that you can actually use for that. So obviously the landscape's got to take a hit. It's just it just looked a little bit bleh. Um, well, um, but second. Yeah, the, the the lava area. I think the right. the colors work really well there. Um, same with the sandy plains and the flooded forest areas. Um, those both, like with the flooded forest, the green feels like a deep, rich green. Um, the the dirt is perhaps a bit washed out in comparison, but the water looks really nice and mm. like looks quite natural. Um, and then the, the sandy plains, the browns, even though, yeah, there's lots of brown because it's just a sandy plain area, um, the the variations on brown actually complement each other really nicely and work really well in tandem. So uh, the Shrine Ruins, which is the first area that you get in the demo, it doesn't look fantastic at nighttime, I find in particular, um, but quests that happen during the day tend to look a bit nicer. And tend to tend to sort of have just that little bit more pop to them. Well, I mean, just before we move on to the next topic, uh, Simon, I am so happy that you love this game. Yeah. You've been talking about this for a really long time, mm. and I know we've all had games recently that we've been really looking forward to, and they've been good. But it sounds like this one has just kind of surpassed even your expectations, and that yeah, I, 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 I'm I am loving hearing you talk about this game. It's really I, I, I had I'll, high hopes. I'll I'll just say again as well, Simon. Like you did a really good job of explaining like the ethos behind why you sold the game the to me. Is, you sold yeah, it to me. <laughs> why it is the way it is. So yeah, kudos, man. Like you did a great job explaining that. Thanks. Well, <laughs> thank you. Let's move um, on to. Uh, sorry, go on. Before we go, on. I, I was going to say, and um, yeah, I I bought a lot of stuff related to this game. I bought myself a new Switch, a new Pro controller. Uh, I bought a physical collector's edition. Even though the Switch came with a download code, I bought the physical collector's edition of the game as well. So I bought two copies of the game and I bought the Amiibo as well, which actually, very quickly, I do want to get onto Amiibo <laughs> very briefly. Why? Why Why did you buy two copies of the game? Well, because the Switch came with a download code. And oh, then there okay, was so it came with the new Switch. Okay, so, so yeah. I'll re- and, and then, the, and then the like, physical collector's edition came with an amiibo. So I really wanted the amiibo. This is uh, the Magnamalo amiibo that it comes with. Really um, like amiibos, amiibo which, um, designs. Yes. So speaking of amiibo, just very briefly, um, the Palico and Palamute amiibo. Um, awesome. I love them. They're gorgeous. They're really, really, really nice. Um, but absolute fucking nightmare to get. Um, so I'm just going to shit all over Nintendo real quick here because oh, Dory, we're going to next in the next next topic as well. So exactly. Honest. So I thought this might be a pretty good segue into that <laughs> um, <laughs> because fuck your anti-consumer bullshit. Because Jesus Christ, like this is awful. Amiibo at best are kind of a pain in the ass to get your hands on. Limited stocks. Um, they don't communicate with, you know, their, their street vendors. Like, you know, they don't communicate with EB games. It's just like, mm. Hey, guess what? You guys are getting a handful of Amiibo. They're like, cool. Can we know what Amiibo? Nope. Good luck. And that makes it really hard for them to be able to communicate with the end customers. Um, 
When it came to ordering the Palico and Palamute amiibo, I did ask my local EB Games, um, and I was like, hey guys, um, so when are these going to be available to pre-order? Because the game is now available to pre-order. And they said, we don't know. We haven't been told anything. I'm like, okay, cool. No worries. Couple weeks later, any news yet, guys? Nah, sorry, dude, nothing. All right. Two weeks before the game is set to come out, now available for pre-order through the Nintendo online store. I mean, the and Palamute. Store. Yep. And, oh my God, the store is abysmal. Like, you have to, mm. first off, go on to Nintendo.com. Then you've got to pick your region. Then you've got to sign in. Then you've got to find the store. And then you've got to find the Palico and the Palamute. That is the only way to get mm. your hands on these two amiibo. The only way. Nintendo are certainly bad at internet, internetting in well, general. Yeah, right? I've been saying, you know, they've got, they've gone past a lot of things and they've, they've got that attitude where it's like, well, we can do this type of shit. Yeah. And, and I think, that, I think that's coming to a head now, which is good because they need it. They need to, Nintendo need to real kick up the ass with a lot of things. Yes. Because absolutely. They, they were just like, everyone's, you know, they were the favorite child. Mm. They could do no wrong because everyone had the nostalgia glasses on with things. But now people are just like, well, really? Yeah. And really? It's, it's just like that wasn't communicated to people or your, you know, your trusted vendors at all. Like that wasn't communicated properly mm. on time or even in a way that just made sense. Even if you did, oh, limited shipments only to, you know, certain stores. Okay, that's a bit of a pain in the ass, but at least, hey, there's some shipments. And then you have to, you know, if you're past the shipment dates, you have to order online. Okay, fine. That's kind of doable. Um, I think it's the same thing in the UK as well. They had the same uh, bullshit, which was you had to order it online it only. That's the only way. However, the UK store is actually really nice and looks really good and has way more stuff available than we get over here. Like, it is the, ridiculous. The Queen has some pull. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's um, continue uh, flogging off some <laughs> video game companies with our next topic. Um, regards to game preservation. So, this is an ongoing topic and we've discussed this in passing here and there but last week was just a perfect kind of uh microcosm of where the industry is at so i'm going to go through three different things that happened um in the last week or week or so um showing where sony nintendo and xbox are at in regards to game preservation sony first up so last week sony announced that would be ending online support and PlayStation Store access for the PlayStation 3, PSP, and PlayStation Vita. The PS3 and PS support, PSP support will drop off on July 2nd, and Vita to follow on August 27. After these dates, users will no longer be able to purchase digital content for either platform. Games you've already purchased in the past won't be able to be re-downloaded either. Now, some devs working on Vita games weren't even properly informed of Sony's decision before this came to to, to pass. Um, they found out via various news outlets reporting. Uh, one such dev team, Lilymo Games, announced that they have had to cancel their upcoming Vita title, as its launch date is now post shutdown. Now, in a DM to IGN, 
this is off my agenda. Barry Johnson from Lillimo Games says that the studio was, quote, not warned about the closing of the Vita store in any way. In fact, Johnson says, Johnson, sorry, says they purchased a second Vita dev kit just last month, quote, when word came out that it was happening through the story at The Gamer, we reached out to Sony for clarification and were given no response. We found out at the same time as the public did that we would have to cancel our Vita version of our next game. Fuck That's those guys. fucked. That That's sucks rough, so buddy. much. Wow. That is. That doesn't make any sense. Like, wow. okay, I can see, and we'll get into this in a bit more detail, the clothing of the stores sucks, but I do understand the business logic behind it. They were kind of yes. up money and they weren't making much of it. And then moving forward, you can change how you want to preserve those sort of games. Cool. I get that to an extent. This is disgusting. This is a disgraceful and just disrespectful of devs who are working really hard to keep those platforms going. Like, who else is developing for the Vita? The yeah, that's Vita, what I was again, wondering. I didn't know that there was anything. Goddamn handheld. Vita is so damn good. But I didn't know anything was being developed for the Vita. Anymore. Exactly. I thought it was dead, like long dead. And it's kind of nice knowing that, you know, people who have it out there are getting in. And I believe this game was a sequel. So the first one they made, um, it was like a, it was a twin breaker. It was like a twin six shooter. Um, did well enough to warrant a sequel, which means people had, had it on their Vita. There was interest in this game. And to find out like this for a small dev team, that sucks. Especially after they just forked out to get another dev kit. Those aren't cheap for a small team. No, no, they are not. It just doesn't make any sense. Did Sony forget that people are developing for their systems? Like, it sounds I mean, they like forgot the Vita existed for a while. Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. Now, that wasn't the only one. Nintendo also wanted to uh, fuck shit up, didn't they? So over in Nintendo mm-hmm. land, March 31st was the last day that Super Mario All-Stars was available to play either in physical form or via the Switch's eShop in a move specifically targeting gamers' fear of missing out. Super Mario Bros. 35, the online Battle Royale-esque game that came through the Nintendo Switch Online subscriptions, also got trashed. This resulted in physical sales um, going up a reported 276% in the last week, um, compared to the week before, with many players panicked buying the collection. Just happens that March 31st is also the last day of Nintendo's financial calendar. Weird that, isn't it? Mm. Not, not predatory at all. That No, surely not. There is no... Other than, hey, we want money at a very specific time, does this decision make a dick of sense? No. Nah. It, it, it is nonsense. And I'm not a Mario fan, but, you know, the um, remasters and stuff like that, the collection, I was kind of interested in it because I, I haven't played the games. I'm like, okay, I would like to get across them. But when they announced this, I'm like, no, I'm not supporting that. Not, yeah. not one iota. This, this is, is this hard, is no. absolutely disgusting. Really, really disappointing. Um, I, uh, the way I read it is Nintendo tank trying to create like a, a like a digital scarcity, scarcity. Type thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And the, I mean, the other thing as well to, to take into consideration is that they were selling physical copies of this, and now scalpers have picked up those physical copies and we've all had enough of scalpers over the mm-hmm. last year this is empowering Fuck. them like if yeah, i'm a scalper yeah, exactly. i'm like yeah cheers nintendo this is a free hit isn't it you're exacerbating an already existing problem that you're aware of you know fuck that and I, like nintendo okay say they want to get their figures up for this quarter 
there are so many. It's Nintendo. You could do anything. Like, didn't this collection not have Galaxy 2 on it? No, it didn't. So if you want to make money, you know what you could remaster? Galaxy 2. Just do that. All right. I'm going to weigh in here. Because, Kiehl's, you raise a pretty valid point about exacerbating an already existing issue. I like to personally think that Nintendo are largely to blame for scalpers existing in the capacity that they do (laughs) in today's market. Because this is not the first time they've pulled this bullshit. They pull it almost every year at this point. They did it with the NES Classic. They did it again with the SNES Classic. They know what they are doing. Cool. We're going to make this a limited run product. We're going to make everyone panic and buy it. I remember, I remember Target's website, EB Games' website, JB, like JB Hi-Fi's website. All crashed. All crashed when people were trying to get their hands on this. I remember Gaz was actually visiting me in Perth and we were going to Rotnest Island and we had just gotten off the boat. He just got signaled back and his mother-in-law called him and was like, hey, guess what? I just managed to secure one through Target. And he was like, oh my God, thank you so much. It had taken three weeks for five people to secure one. Because scalpers had snatched that shit up immediately. Nintendo know full well what they're doing. But then this is where it gets even worse, is that Nintendo then get grumpy any time that someone tries to pirate their old content because it's otherwise unobtainable. If you're going to restrict our access to stuff that should already be available to us, don't get grumpy when we have to circumvent and skirt around the law because you're being dickheads about it. It is not acceptable. It has never been acceptable. Ah! (laughs) You know know it's bad... Sorry, when somebody wearing a Bulbasaur t-shirt who just bought a second Switch is <laughs> <laughs> raging against Nintendo. With my Nintendo, army you push, of Amiibo you over there, too over far. the handful here, like... You know, when you when you bought a game on your Wii and then your 3DS, and then you just you can't play it without paying for a Nintendo online subscription on your Switch or something like that. Like, yeah. Come, come on, guys. Come on now. How many times do I have to give you the money for this? And yeah. again, this Nintendo knowing full well that they can get away with a lot of stuff because the uh, now fading, I guess, nostalgia glasses that people have with Nintendo, uh, you know, the, 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 the shine's coming off a little bit. It's the same thing that Bethesda went through with Fallout 76. Up until then, you know, with Skyrim and with Fallout 4, it's like, eh, it's a bit of a buggy mess, but whatever, it's a fun game because it's Bethesda. And then this, like, Fallout 76 was the breaking point. We are fast approaching that breaking point now for Nintendo. It's not so much Mm. that the nostalgia shines come off, it's that, okay, you've taken the piss a bit too much now, get your shit together. So, yeah, from... My perspective as the resident Nintendo fanboy, this is not acceptable and it never has been. The fact that they are still selling their old NES games for, you know, even if it's $10, that's an, that's a ridiculous amount. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is massively overcharged. You should be giving that stuff away for free at this point. And you can argue, oh, but they are with the Nintendo Online subscription. But no, you're paying for an online subscription service for the online service part, which barely fucking works to begin with. So we're about to go, I'm going to, about to go into Xbox a little bit. 
And Xbox, again, done, not doing it perfectly, but they're making really, uh, really good strides in protecting their old legacy titles. Purely <coughs> just to help... <coughs> Microsoft. Microsoft, what are you... Fuck you. <coughs> God damn it, Keelan. You host the goddamn show. Sorry. Um, <laughs> God damn it. You throw me off. Um, Xbox, Xbox, Microsoft, whatever. Phil Spencer himself. Have, they've done really well in trying to protect their legacy titles. Um, and in doing so, they've really just done it to add to the value of Game Pass. They didn't need to do all this, but it's like, Hey, these are free hits. If we say we've got a bunch of games here, old games that we're just chucking into Game Pass, it just adds to that. Nintendo, their eShop is shit. It's garbage. Yeah, like yeah. their online functionality, garbage. So just have some easy wins. Put a few games on there. Like just easy, easy to get games. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm real curious how much Nintendo actually makes from its like its online subscription thing. Here's the thing. I know they probably don't make as much as they potentially should because um, they offer the family, because it's Nintendo offering the family-friendly yes. orientated oh. bullshit, the family subscription can register several different users. So I could pay for one subscription, and it doesn't cost me much. It'll cost like $20 a year, and I could also cover my friend's Nintendo Online subscriptions for that yeah. as well. Literally right. just because, why not? Like, it's cost me maybe an extra $10. That's not a huge deal a year, especially. And then it guarantees that I can play games online with my friends. So, yeah. Uh, now, I wanted to point something out that you brought up, Jesse, um, in that Microsoft... Microsoft is treating... It's treating its older games as that value add as they should be simply Sorry. because they kind of lucked into this. Oh, hundred percent. Wait, so before we get into that though, let me just read through what they did last week. Oh, go, go. And then we'll go through it. So, um, blah, blah, blah. this is a quote from Xbox wire from last week from Phil Spencer. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members can now tap into a collection of favorites from the past in a whole new way, right on mobile devices, turning them into a retro handheld game system. 16 original Xbox and Xbox 360 games are now available on Android phones and tablets, with more games coming soon. We've listened to the feedback, going all the way back to our earliest cloud gaming preview, and making games from previous generations available on mobile devices, um, has been one of the most requested features by the community. So the backwards compatible games playable with Xbox Cloud Gaming, which is in beta, include Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie, Double Dragon Neon, Fable 2, Fallout New Vegas, Gears of War 2 and 3, Gears of War Judgment, Jetpack Refueled with touch controls enabled, Cameo, Perfect Dark, Perfect Dark Zero, Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind, Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion, Viva Piñata uh, with touch controls enabled, and Viva Piñata Tiapi. Wow. Good. Diggity damn. So you're telling me, I just want to get this 100% accurate, I can play Banjo-Tooie on my phone. That we, that we just we just turned into a morning show. It just sounds like, you're telling me that for only $3... <laughs> <laughs> I um, can get a yeah, Big Mac meal. And you know what? Did, was this a lot of effort? Like, okay, I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of game emulation and stuff like that, backward compatibility. I know there's a bunch of ins and outs and it's not as easy to be like, oh, console more powerful than it used to be, therefore it can run it, because that's simply not the case. No. But 
I, it sounds like these are pretty easy, like they weren't overtly difficult. And these are just easy wins. Because you look at the game and it's like, all right, all right. That's that's the thing. Am Jesse. I going to play them? No, but all right. <laughs> cool. That's the thing. So, you know, we've mentioned in previous podcasts as well, Microsoft is kind of, you know, just stepping, they're just dipping their toes in little things and testing it out. This is part of that that process yeah. where they're like, hey, we want to roll out this big thing, but we've got to test it on a smaller scale first. So here's these however many games, all these old things that we're not going to have problems running and streaming um, that people are probably not going to have, you know, necessarily issues with latency with either. It's not a competitive multiplayer thing that they're streaming, you know. Um, Microsoft really did luck into this simply because the architecture of all of their consoles from the first Xbox all the way up to the Xbox Series X, it's all been more or less the same. same. So it's easy to run. It's easy for them to port it to get it to run natively on whatever new console it is. Whereas the same cannot be said for Nintendo the, and Sony. Well, they the PS3 proprietary hardware. Yeah, the, the past, PS3 had the cell processor, which made it impossible. Hard. That's why there was no backwards compatibility on the PS4. Like it was a nightmare to get anything running on the PS from the PS3 era and the else. And same with the PSP and the, and the Vita. So it, so it makes right sense now, to kill those off, kind of. Yeah. So right now you can kind of, kind of emulate a PS3 on a super high end PC, but even then. There are things that don't work entirely right. So mm-hmm. there's, there's no way in hell that you're going to get that running. Can confirm. A shit ton of licensing issues I didn't know about. A lot of uh, music licensing for games was actually directly tied to the PS3 and therefore couldn't be carried over to different consoles. So hmm. I, I don't know how that works with other console generations, but I've never really heard of that being an issue as much as I've heard it with the PS3. So I think, you know, with previous generations of consoles, you just you, you couldn't have licensed music because they're using CD-ROMs or um, the music that they licensed were under different terms and conditions. What, whatever it might be, the contract is different. Um, but that brings me on to something else. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Microsoft's doing back compat well. They're, they're, you know, preserving the games that I have in my library, which is great in a lot of ways, yes. I've got several, like close to a decade's worth of games with gold games that I have associated to my Xbox account. It's like 300 games there, like none of which I've played, but I have it there <laughs> and I can play it on any console. Like it's it's there. But with the original Xbox, for instance, there are just a handful of games out of the total amount of close to a thousand Xbox games that are actually playable. It's 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 quite limited. Those games aren't being archived. They aren't being preserved. And you might have a physical collection of all these original Xbox games that you bought back in 2002, you know. Uh, you still can't play that anyway, other than an original Xbox. Such a weird issue when it comes to preservation of media. Because this isn't just a games issue. There are TV shows that never made it to DVD. There is a lot of music. A lot of music that yeah. is just gone. Like you, you can't hear it in, in, in any form. It's not. It's no longer on SoundCloud or whatever it used to be on. You know, bands used to have songs up on MySpace. My old bands had songs on MySpace. They are gone now. Am I comparing my old, my band's old songs to Banjo Tui? Yes, damn. <laughs> but that like, is a huge it, comparison. It's it, it, across all media. And it's like it's a really weird argument. Does does everything? need to be saved yeah, um or does question. it make sense to kind of move on from some some things but then also 
who's to decide what should live on and what shouldn't. It yeah. It's so like realistically, it it, cause it gets to a, it gets to a limit where not everything can, can be archived, not everything can be saved. It just it there are the, a, a cost of sorts to keep something somewhere. And at some point that will just get too much. And they're like, okay, we archive these things for 25 years, for 50 years. Who's making up those those rules? Or is it if a game is worth being archived and saved, it will find a way to be archived and saved. That's where piracy comes into it. Against piracy, but does actually keep a lot of things going. Is that where sort of the market comes in? I'm going to get into this whole free market bullshit, am I? Is that sort of the market sort of makes up for that though? It's like, okay, that's the game that we want to keep. Xbox, Sony, Nintendo, whatever, we get it that you can't keep this in your servers. Whatever, we'll keep it in our own way then. And so that's, I guess when Nintendo gets the lawyers involved. But yeah. is, is that sort of the way forward? Because, I mean, I, I also see Sony, at least. Um, because, I mean, Xbox is doing this by default and Nintendo don't have any care for it, I guess. Bringing my digital library from the PS4 to the PS5 was relatively easy. So I think they've, they've they've kind of acknowledged, okay, that PS3, this whole cell processor thing, which I remember back in the day being so excited for. I remember reading <laughs> my PlayStation magazine and seeing the silver Batarang controller and hearing about the cell processors. And I'm like, this is going to take me to space. This is the best thing in the world. boomerang thing was disgusting. And then they, they fully launched. I'm like, oh, you you actually did go with a Spider-Man font. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. so I, 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 I guess Sony's like, okay, we, we fucked up there. But going forward... We will make sure that these sort of things are archived. We know we'll make sure that in forty years' time, you can still play Horizon Zero Dawn. Luckily for them, they had a much easier go of it this time around. It's fortunate. But, yeah, you know. Um, here's the thing: I, I I did a lot of reading about this, and um, some people were kind of making a point, which I thought, well, while it's maybe not you know the end of the argument, it is something valid to mention as well. That. If you look at how Microsoft have done their consoles since 2001 or two, whenever the original Xbox launched, it's always been an incremental update. It's been, it's our last thing, but a little bit more powerful. Cool. That's good. So, you know, understandably, you can go back and forth between those those two things. But with Sony and Nintendo especially, they are doing something quite different. Each on time. each of their iterations. Especially of, of Nintendo. Nintendo, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. So, you know, it's kind of understandable. Like, how are you going to you gonna archive uh, 3DS games, DS games, if you don't have two screens to play it on? So that's actually a really, really good point. I didn't really think of with Nintendo. But it also, it makes the fact that they do shitty things like this, like, uh, fake scarcity with games and stuff like that. It makes it even more jarring. Where it's yeah, like, it you... Just because of the creativity with which your company wants to pursue gaming, which is one of your greatest strengths, it also becomes a weakness in some parts. But why would you emphasize that weakness and being like, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty bad here, but now purposely we're going to go fuck ourselves and the customer. Mm. It doesn't make any sense. Just when you see an easy win, do it. Because I see, like I said, I, I Xbox, they're fine. And I guess... The more they add and add and add to Game Pass, the better. They're, they're just adding another byline to the, the Game Pass description. That's all this is. It's a one more little dot point that they can add there. It's like, hey, we're good. And as Game Pass becomes Xbox going forward, 
then this won't even become an argument for them. This, everything will be on Game Pass. So they know what they want to do going forward. It seems like Sony kind of read the tea leaves and said, okay, we need to change the direction we're going with in regards to keeping our legacy titles alive. Um, especially with, you know, Xbox making really big moves to getting major developers and those legacy titles will become theirs. Sony needs yeah. to really hold tight to what they have and make sure that people can keep playing Gex enter the Gecko. But <laughs> it's my go too. But Nintendo just aren't doing anything. Mm. So I'm gonna offer a I don't know, I guess contribution. Um I think all games should be archived. I understand your point about oh, you know, that you reach a sort of space limitation and a cost limitation and that sort of stuff. Yep, I get that. I understand. Fair enough. But I don't think it should be done by an independent third party, which it currently is being done by. Um, that's what I spent the past couple of minutes doing. I was just trying to see if I could find, um, I believe, so there's a web page called the Internet Archive. Oh, Internet Archive, which, yeah. Yeah, which mm. has preserved uh, Flash games. It's also got some MS-DOS games, um, you know, all, all preserved, all there available for you to it's download. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But it shouldn't fall to them to do that. It should be on the responsibility of the IP owners and the companies responsible to preserve and Sorry. make sure uh... that... Because, hear me out, regardless of whether or not a game is, um, you know, it's still, still widely available for distribution, it's still... It's, it's a form of media. Imagine if, like, the original copies of Titanic and every other copy of Titanic just... Ah, it doesn't matter, we'll just leave it in the bin. But but that has that has happened with stuff. That, yes, exactly. That's, that's point. the point I was going to bring up. So that's why you can't trust an IP holder. How yeah. do you know that they're going to decentralize the storage of everything and make sure that there are uh, redundancies Plus, built into their system? Those you companies can't go down. That. Because I mean, this is an extra cost they need to fork over to keep these stuff stored in some fashion. That but company then goes down. It's gone. Yeah, but I mean, if even if they're not like directly responsible for the backup and storage itself even if they license it out to other companies who are willing to do this and are you know decentralized and able to make sure that you know fragmentation doesn't happen you know storage right doesn't happen and blah 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 cool fine you know license it out you know make a make a contract with a dependable company to have this happen but i feel like not doing so you miss out when source code gets lost and then they go, oh, wow, we really want to remake that game. We really want to remaster Final Fantasy VIII, for example. And they couldn't for years because they lost the source code. And it's like, this right. is how you need to, you like, because the problem is with video games is obviously it is still such a new media, generally. In, in the grand scheme of things, it is still a very yeah. new yeah, yeah. media. Yeah. And... I guess in that sense, you know, we're, we're exploring a whole bunch of things which we never would have thought about. You know, playing the original Super Mario Bros. on your NES, you're not going to sit there and go, well, I can't wait to 20 years from now and I can play this again. Like, you're not thinking that. Yeah. I'm not thinking about that with, you know, any new game that I purchase. I'm not going, oh, I'm looking forward to the remaster of this game in 15 years. Because you don't. But these companies now are going, well, hang on, let's remake, let's reinvent, let's, you know polish up this game and redistribute it oh shit where did i put all those notes is that a double double-edged sword though 
Oh, because like like people people get mad when companies are like, oh, we made this game twenty years ago, we're remastering it, it's selling for forty bucks again. It's like, whoa, what the fuck? That kind of ends it. Some games just phasing yeah. out of existence does force innovation at times. Absolutely, but I would argue that there is more harm to be done by losing media at any given point. I think because. Our lives are so intrinsically tied to media. It's a cultural point regardless. Like, I can, even though, you know, um, Pokemon Yellow might not have had the biggest cultural impact at the time it came out, it was the most important game to four-year-old me. Like, that blew my mind. That was the most important thing in my entire life, right there, in this one little cartridge. And... You know, it might not be down to, you know, again, general cultural uh, appreciation. But for one person, that's going to make a huge difference if they can go, oh, holy shit, I can I can download the original version of Metal Gear Solid 2. I can play, like, uh, that is still available for me to look at and appreciate and just remember. Because it has impact, whether or not the impact is felt now or... 15, 20 years from now, the it's same. important. That's, the impact remains the same without that game having to be archived. Like, but then, they're, they're, they're old, like, like I have a copy of Pokemon Yellow somewhere and it's probably rotted and it can't be used ever again. But my memories, my experience of that game is still a thing. It's still factored into me. I don't have to put that into a Game Boy and play it for that to exist. And it's still a yeah, thing that mate, has happened. But some, but some people like to do that, yes. which is why I say that it shouldn't be the company that owns the IP that maintains that it should be people who actually give a shit about it. Because but then the, the problem- moment that that IP stops making money for that company, remember we had this conversation the other week. Yeah. Companies are not your friend; they're here to make a buck. That, that is very so, true. They are not your friend. Um, that's why people who care about it should yeah, be the I agree ones that. who are maintaining. I because it, it I becomes a thing. Would it's like, agree with that. Like you said, like Pokemon Yellow, I think is a, a really good example. But then. There is somebody out there whose favorite game is goddamn Leisure Suit Larry. Okay. That's. I mean, <laughs> they need to see a therapist immediately. And, and also, but for one, that's fine. If, if, you, if you think about like all this like surprisingly in depth discussion we've been having about the pros and cons of gaming um, preservation, and you apply it just to Leisure Suit Larry, we become the three worst people in the world. <laughs> Perhaps. Okay. But with, with that Legacy being said, Suit Larry. Very nice. I'll give you Thank that. You. That was Thank you. very clever. Um, my my point being, I guess, that whilst I would agree with the concept of allowing it to be, um, you know, left left to the people. You know, the people can archive this and back this up, which, again, loads, uh, like a, a small handful of people are doing, and they're doing a fantastic job. Um, there, there's so much to be missed out on by not having things like the source code. Um, so even if these companies, as I said, wanted to say, all right, cool, here you go, guys. This is the source code. This is the um, promotional artwork that we were developing. These are some of the ideas that we toyed with. Go archive all of this. The problem is companies are greedy, as we discussed. And also, <laughs> the other problem is that they love copyright. Oh, and yeah. That so, is the sticking point. Simon, I actually do think that there's some merit to that as well. Similar to like, like my background, like as a musician, 
when you're a young kid Fucking and hell. you're exploring. Jesus Christ, you're, as a musician, as a guitarist <laughs> myself. You're exploring, you're exploring your hobby and you're like, oh man, like this song just like really spoke to me. There was something fucking incredible in that. And you sit down and you figure out how to play it and you learn by listening to the music, maybe looking up some sheet music or something like that mm. if your ear isn't very well developed. Um, it's similar for people... Yeah, me too, Jesse, don't worry. And, and, and um, Tabs, don't worry, guys, I'm on board yeah. with you. We're all um, good. It, it's similar, I guess, with um, the like source code of like a, a classic game, you know? like People will be looking at that stuff and they go like, oh, wow, I've always wanted to get into programming, but like I've, I don't know where to start. Here's a place I can start. I can look into this thing that I love so much and understand why these little nuances that I've noticed how it is created and all that kind of stuff. I, think I like that. There's a line to be drawn, yeah. though. Because I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think the examples you brought up are quite important, though. Because you're bringing up classic games. Popular games at the time. If not, games that had uh, a certain importance to them. I agree. Those should be archived in some form. But there's a lot of games. There are a lot I of mean, games that... And it, it becomes a thing of just like, do we kind of just continue the, down the path that we're kind of at now? I know that we can't do anything about the past. The games that have gone into the ether are gone forever. We can't do anything about that. But we're in a spot right now where companies seem to be recognizing the fact and learnt from those lessons that let's try and save as much as we can realistically going forward. I think realistically is not all games because, like, is uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a super obscure game and my, my brain's going, Fur Fighters, why not? I want to play Fur Fighters, to be fair. Fur Fighters, <laughs> no one's going to be like, oh, God, I hope they, I hope they remake that. Um, they probably are. Uh, there, there's someone, sure. 100%. But maybe that doesn't have to be saved. You, I don't think you can pick, compare, like, every game to, like, you know, Metal Gear Solid 1. Okay? It's Metal Gear Solid. You can't compare that to some of the other games that came out at that time because is there a want or a need? Is there, are there lessons to be learned? Or is it keeping it... Is it hoarding it for the sake of it? Is it principle... Off it. But I, I would argue you risk losing more if you don't hoard it than otherwise. I, I feel like you've risked losing out on more. There's lessons you- to be learned from developers, from source code, from all sorts of stuff. Like, for example, take Pokemon Gold and Silver. They were awful up until the point where they had to get an external person in to create a compression tool to compress the game down to size to fit onto a Game Boy Color cartridge. And they did such an efficient job that there was half of the potential memory left in the game. And so they went, screw it, we're going to add Kanto back in. And that is that is a lesson for the ages. That may or may not have been Satoru Iwata, you know, <laughs> just as I a by the way, but... <laughs> there's a line to be drawn. Because I, I, I think I, I don't think it's as simple as all games forever must be kept. I think there needs to be a time frame for certain developers. It's like, okay, this game's been out, f- we released it five years ago. Let's see where it sits culturally right now. Is this a cult classic? Did this sell well? Is this a classic? Did it review well? Blah, blah, blah. We pass those things. Okay, cool. Pop in the archivers, put into a shoebox, put it under the bed. Did it not do well? Was this kind of a nothing game? Is this, is this, um, Balan Wonderworld? You know? In the bingo. Jesse, you brought something up before. Who decides that? 
Yeah. You don't know. And there are games out there that you've never heard of that mean something to someone. You've never heard of no, 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 and that, um, that's fine, Escape but, from Dr. Riptide, but, right? That's but that thing. game means a shit ton to me as a kid because I grew up with that because I didn't have shit else to and play. And that's fine, like, but it's fine. But if the developers are the ones who have to keep these, then that doesn't matter. It can't be. It can't be. They can't be. Hmm. Well, I mean, let, I, it's, it's a very interesting topic and I think we'll definitely get back to it as things progress but i i think sony microsoft and uh, nintendo <laughs> have all kind of shown their hand the last week mm. and they're all at different yeah. points so it'd be interesting to see where that goes and we'll definitely touch upon this uh, again but i think we should uh wrap this one up hey hey lads so yeah if you want to hear more of our bullshit we're on spotify and itunes so subscribe and leave us a review as always, a big thank you to the Fan Critical Podcast Network for their support. You can catch all their shows also on Spotify, iTunes, and all other good podcasting apps, tools, systems, whatever. You can catch our written work at storymodegaming.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at StoryModeAUS. We're also on Twitch. We record these podcasts live every Sunday, usually at 6.30, sometimes at 7. Depends on how, uh, how we're feeling. Depends on what's happening. Um, we're at Twitch at Story Mode AUS. Jump on board, give us a follow. Uh, we have streams going up almost every night. We're also on Patreon if you want to throw a couple of buckarinos our way. Search for Fan Critical and you'll get access to a few bonus goodies. But with that, lads, cheers for joining in. That was a good one. Yeah, this was this was oh, fun. a good time. Um, that was good a good stuff, one, guys. Look, pending pending Final Fantasy XIV's expansion, uh, Monster Hunter Rise is my game of the year. Just putting that out there. Just leaving that mm. as sort of the closing. Say, man. Oh, is it, is it yep. Keelan, do you, do you have a game of the year so far, Keelan? No. Have I played a new game this year? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't, so... <laughs> Jurassic World Evolution. What have I played this year? Oh, no, I'm having an existential crisis. I was hoping to have played goddamn Lego Star Wars by now, but it's been indefinitely delayed. Play Monster Hunter Rise, Jesse. I, I can uh, teach it's, you it's, how to... It's charging. Um, yeah. My partner... I, I have to start again. My partner's like, I want to help you design the cat. I'm like, okay. We'll, we'll, I'll happily restart that. We'll make Krangus again. Anyway, nice. uh, maybe I'll give some thoughts about that uh, on next week's episode. You can ask me a few questions of where I'm at as a elapsed yeah. Monster of the World player. <laughs> but again, Keelan, Simon, thanks for joining in. Everyone thank listening, thank thanks for listening. Everyone who tuned in live on Twitch, champions, thank you. Um, we'll catch you next week. Stay safe, play some games. Mm-hmm. Little kiss. Bye. Bye. Bye.